When I left for uni, I stole a few cookbooks from my parents. One in particular, Roast Chicken and Other Stories by Simon Hopkinson. And years later, after I'd been working in kitchens, I opened it and read it for the first time, and it stuck with me ever since. Lloyd, you'll meet him in a minute, had a similar experience. He worked in the kitchens for a long time before reading the book, and he, well, I'll let him tell you what he thinks. I'm Will Stewart, and you're listening to A Cook's Library. Lloyd Morse is in the midst of opening a restaurant in Edinburgh, The Palmerston. We talk about that at the end. Also, my technical skills failed me this episode, and I had to use a backup recording of myself, which was sort of fine. Lloyd, thankfully, does most of the talking. So I, um, my father was a sommelier. He worked at a lot of restaurants in and around Sydney. Mum's side is always very foodie and very restauranty. So I, I kind of always grew up in and around restaurants. And then Dad essentially called me one day, I think I was about 15 or 16, and said, got your job washing up. And my parents split up when I was very young. And I was just like, oh, hi, Dad. Uh, okay. It was like he's like, yeah, you're gonna start next week. I'll take you to the hotel and show you. And it was, I was like, meet you can meet the head chef and stuff like that. And I was just like, okay, sure. It was just it was just like another day in a kitchen. Some of my earliest some of my earliest memories are like being asleep. Mum worked at a restaurant called Rob's, and I can remember being asleep upstairs and hearing the kitchen and hearing service. So I started washing up, and I would do that on the weekends and a couple of days a week after school, that kind of thing. And so came to London, worked in some really shitty pubs, like microwave pubs, left, went back to Australia and was like, well, I guess I'll just do my apprenticeship. I kind of started washing up again. I was like, oh, I'm in my fucking 20s. I need to get out of this. I was just a bit of a stoner. And then went through Sydney, worked at Key for a while, which was at the point in time, probably still is one of Australia's best restaurants. That was like pretty hard graft. Worked in a lot of Italian restaurants and then at 25, yeah, so 11 years ago, came to London and haven't left since. So you come to London, leave London, then come back to London. And yeah. where were the, did you then start working in sort of good restaurants? Where I worked kind of links in quite a lot to um, the Simon Hopkins book. I spent a lot of time looking online to try to find somewhere to work. And I found this restaurant that was on Tooley Street, so between London Bridge and Tower Bridge. Uh, called Magdalene and I sent them an email got chatting with them went in for an interview and the kind of second I went in there I was like yeah this is where I want to be I wanted to get out of Italian cooking because I've worked in a lot of Italian restaurants and I wanted to be a bit more kind of like British French I fancied somewhere like St John because this is 11 years ago so St John was like I think at its peak Um, but I also wanted to work in quite a French place uh, Magdalene had three head chefs who were best mates who had known each other for years, two of which were married. And it was like classic British French cooking. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And that was how I got introduced to the book, actually. I, I, I just lapped it up. I was like 24, 25. I spent nearly three years working there. And I just loved it. It was like my home away from home. I got along with everyone really well. The menu changed all the time. We changed things on the menu pretty much daily. And Dave and James, who were two of the head chefs, introduced me to this book. And Dave essentially said to me one day, like, Morsi, have you... He called me Morsi with the Aussie. He'd be like, Morsi, have you read this book? I've uh, never heard of it. Who's who? Not Simon Hopkinson. Like, it's a bit of a posh name. Straight off the boat from Australia. And he said, no, no, you've got to read this book. And I remember I got the train from... London Bridge to Charing Cross and then walked up to Foils and bought it and I just couldn't put it down. 
I just loved it. It was just like it's so readable, which is I think what's really uh, important. So readable, and and I I was gonna say to you, my I have this kind of cookbook guilt, in that I've been in kitchens for such a long time. It's a bit ignorant as well, but I find that I don't really read for recipes. I read because I like the stories and I like the writing. I, I do a bit of writing myself, and I really enjoy. I really enjoy Hoppy's writing. For anyone who doesn't know Hoppy, aka Simon Hopkins, um, I just love his writing, and it's it's yeah. I just everything in there was just I could relate to so much, and it was all my taste. So like his love of anchovies, his love of offal. I was gonna say I. Um, Mum, mum raised me and my brother as a single single mother, and she was working in restaurants. And she used to go to the butcher, see what was cheap as possible, which is generally like brains, kidneys, liver, tripe, that kind of thing. And then she was working in these restaurants, these incredible, incredibly trained chefs. And so she'd say to them, "What do I do with brains? How do I cook liver? How do I cook kidneys?" And so I grew up eating that kind of stuff. So when I read this book, it was like, oh, "I know that stuff." This is like, this is my food. And that was a bit like a Magdalene as well in that it's very British, very like simple, simple cookery. More about where things are from rather than what you do to them, which is something that is paramount in my food philosophy myself. You know, I, th- I think people should spend far more time researching where their food comes from rather than working at what mm. food. Like provenance is so important. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, worked at worked at Magdalen for nearly three years, and then uh, Sky Ginger was opening spring, and I kind of got word of that through social media and whatnot, and applied for the job and got the job, and helped open spring, and I was there for about a year or so, um, and that was really enjoyable. It was a hell of an experience, a huge, huge restaurant. I really enjoy working for Sky. I think she's got an amazing, amazing kind of philosophy in the way she looks at food. And I really enjoy the way Sky is just like, no bullshit. It's because she's Australian. And that was one of the reasons why I think me and her got along so well. It's just because there's a couple of Aussies. And she'd be like, oh, you remember that from Australia? would be like, oh, yeah. And then from there, I, I, I left spring because I broke my ankle. And, and I couldn't, I just couldn't work in kitchens. I was in so much pain. And um, I essentially got a job out at Ferns Arrow, the, the, the farm that supplies spring. So it's a biodynamic farm, biodynamic farm out uh, in Herefordshire, just near the border with Wales. And I lived out there for kind of like four or five months during a season, which was amazing. I think I, I, I learned more about food working on a vegetable farm more than any other kitchen. You learn so much about food. I, if I could suggest one thing to any young chef, it would be like, go and work on a farm and really appreciate how much work goes into growing your veg. I think you learn so much more about it. But then a good friend of mine who I'd worked with at Magdalene um, called me and he was working for Vinatecker and he said that the site in Marlebone needed a head chef. So I went in and was having a coffee with him one day and he kind of introduced me to this guy and I got chatting to this guy and halfway through I realised it was a job interview for the head chef position. Um, and he offered shit. me some nice money. And yeah, it was a bit like, oh, fuck, this is a job interview. And I didn't even realize, shit, yeah. this is like the executive chef of the company. Um, but what I got offered at Vinoteca was essentially my own kitchen. And within, within Vinoteca's realm, free reign to kind of cook wherever I want and however I want, which was great. 
it was it was it was exactly what I needed at that point in time, and I spent nearly three years as head chef there and loved it. Wow. Absolutely loved it. Nice. And and the hardest thing about being a sous chef and a head chef is learning to manage people. I think learning to manage is harder than learning to cook because every you get a box of courgettes and it's a box of courgettes. You get a team of chefs. And they're all very different people. And they all have to be treated differently. And they all have to be... And they talk back. And they fucking talk back. The courgettes don't talk back. Um, I, th- I think that our industry should be doing a lot more around teaching people to manage more than anything else. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to manage Well, that's the, biggest, that's like the biggest problem with restaurants, isn't it? 100%. So how much did you cook from cookbooks? Like, and you got roasted in other stories. Did you have loads of cookbooks at that time, or was it? Yeah, always. I've always bought cookbooks because I, I, I mean, what I was talking about before is kind of like my, my cookbook guilt, what I call it, is that I like going through cookbooks for ideas more than recipes themselves. I think. Well, that's what makes a good cookbook, I think. Yeah, like, absolutely. Otherwise, you have loads of books with recipes that taste nice. But the second there's like a technique, ideology, this is like this is the, the theme that everyone is talking about, how I don't cook that much from it, but I read it a lot and I take away the ideas from it a lot. Yeah. And that's what's important. Oh, that made me feel really great. <laughs> that makes me feel like such less of an arsehole. But no, I've, I've always, even when I was an apprentice chef, um, so in my very early 20s, I... I used to buy so many books and I'd just sit there and go through them and go through them and read them and read them and read them. It's it's more about ideas. It's more about philosophies. It's more about like seeing. I always like, so so something that's really important to me is is doing my own butchery. You know, I grew up doing a lot of hunting like goats and rabbits and pigs and that kind of thing. So we, I've always grown up kind of butchering animals. And so having that in my kitchen, even just for lamb, you know, Beef, it's a bit hard, but for lambs and pigs, it's it's really important to me to be, you know, to see that whole thing. So I'm always asking and and reading about how chefs use joints differently because I've kind of got this thing in my head of this is how I like to use a lamb. I like to do this, this, and this. But, you know, what if someone else says, well, you can do this or you can take that or you can... You know, that's what I really enjoy rather than just a recipe itself. Well, that's also why, I mean, like, roast chicken's great because it... I think it's an amazing book to read. It's got really lovely stories in it. Illustrations are great. Um, it's definitely like, there's. I think you could read that as a new chef and maybe not get it and maybe not get some of the, the ideas behind it and then you yeah. cook for five years and then it suddenly all makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I think you're absolutely right there. I think you need to... There's like an unwritten knowledge that you have to know. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn to really appreciate an anchovy before and like a, a, a couple of kidneys or, or or some liver or something like that but there's been so many i have i was trying to when i was thinking about the book i was trying to write a list of how many chefs I've, I've given a copy of this to and i think it's somewhere around 10 or 12 because i chefs hit this certain point and you're like yeah you need to read this now it is it is for me it's the chef's cookbook and he is Hoppy is the the chef's chef. What are the like the go-to recipes for you in there? Um, I probably come back to. Well, a... how about this? We'll say the go-to sections. Yeah. Okay. It's... Well, I mean, anyone who doesn't know, the 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 book's broken down into forty sections of what I consider to be some of the best food in existence. So you've got like anchovy, asparagus, brains, seps, chicken. 
as you flip through it, you're like, oh, it can't. Like, every crab. single one hits the mark. Like, how many how many cookbooks have sections just on custard and cream, you know? Two separate sections, one on custard, one on cream. Um, grouse, kidneys. I mean, I love, I love probably two of my favorite things to eat are anchovies and kidneys. And, you know, put them together with the Montpierre butter is just like, oh, beautiful. Um, I love his writing on uh, lamb. On rabbit, the the section just called pork pieces and bacon bits. Um, he writes, I think, so well about those really chefy things. So sweetbreads, tripe, squab. You know those real thing, those that real kind of like cucina povera stuff. You know that real like the real humble foods. Um, my my the things that I always return to are definitely. I really love his kidneys, cabbage, and mustard. I love it. A rabbit leg in mustard and bacon. There's just loads of there's just loads of wonderful things in that. I'm trying to think. I, it's funny because I've read it so many times, and yet I was like, he's got this recipe for saffron mashed potatoes. I was like, I've never seen that before. How have I missed that? And he kind of says it's the one thing that he claims is his own. It's the one thing in this book that he can say like, this is my dish. I came up with this idea, um, and I love the I love the drawings. Um, what's her name? Flo Bailey, all the wee drawings. You can get a copy with the drawings. It's just, yeah. they're just so much fun. Isn't the tripe someone skiing over the tripe? As yeah, it's, it's the, someone skiing down a tripe. I like the sweetbreads is a little, um, it looks like a map of like a Caribbean island. The, um, the potato in space. There's just so many amazing drawings. Just, so, just like the little devil in the detail stuff. They're brilliant. Yeah, it's just a fantastic book. Like we can just talk about it for days. <laughs> so bait all of this then culminates in your restaurant. That's the plan. Yeah, partly. We are we're opening a, a site in the west end of Edinburgh. It's it was a bank for it was purposely built as a bank in eighteen fifty something. It was a bank for nearly hundred and thirty years, RBS. It's still got the original um, coat of arms at the front that's all that's all protected. It's not protected, it's rusting and falling apart, but that's fine, is what it is. Um, so my business partner, James Snowden, and I um, are going to open this restaurant this year. It's going to be called The Palmerston. We're planning on opening it in July. We're really excited about opening. I'm going to be doing most of my own butchery. Whole, I'm trying to do whole animal only, um, including buying like half cows. Uh, I'm only going to buy directly from growers. There's a lot of that happens up here because farmland's not very far from the centre of Edinburgh, so that should be fine. We're going to try our best not to use any single-use plastic, um, which is very, very difficult, but that ties in with doing, you know, if you take away veg packaging and buying bags of questionable sweaty meat, you've already knocked off a whole heap of um, single-use plastic. So same with fish supplies. Fish supplies are really good now. You know, they come in, you take the fish out of the box, they take the box away. Um, so we're going to try to do our best for the planet as we can. Um, but we've also got a bakery downstairs. Right, nice. So we've hired Alex Sage, who helped open Jolene and Big Joe. Uh, and and he essentially sent me a message one day. and was like, oh, hi, I'm moving to Edinburgh. Like, what up? And I was like, well, I need a baker. What's the fucking chances of that? We're going to do a couple of nice pastries. And a cake. It'll sit on the sit on the bar in the morning. But also just chef's dream to have a deck oven. Like man, imagine cooking a piece of air or something like that for lunch in a deck oven. It's like it's the dream. 
And that's quite funny because a lot of the things we want to do up here haven't been done before, you know. One of my favorite things about being in a kitchen is selling out of food. I love it when you've got an empty fridge at the end of the night. Like, it's horrible think, shit, tomorrow morning I'm going to start from scratch. But it's also a really nice feeling to see all this fresh food sell out every night. And um, talking to PR and the PR kind of like, what do you mean you want to change the menu every day? I'm like, yeah, I can. She's like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, well, River Cafe have been doing it for nine, 30 years, so I reckon I should be okay, you know. There's been enough restaurants in the world that change their menus, you know, according to what's in the fridge. And that's essentially my plan. I want to fill a fridge with food and write a menu around it and kind of change it here and there, whatever I can. I mean, the kind of ticket for me is I want to go somewhere and have a pork chop and a carafe of wine for lunch. And that's just what I want for lunch, you know, maybe a bit of bit of dessert, but it just doesn't exist up here. So, so we're trying to open something new. We're trying to open something new and exciting. And I want that Magdalene thing of like, I loved going to work. The, 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 the commute to work wasn't a drag because I loved going to work and I loved being at work. And that's what I really want to build it. And it's, it's a really intimidating thing because you don't, at the same time, I'm opening a restaurant and I don't want to act like an asshole, but I know that there's going to be days when I'm in a bit of a fucking shit mood. So it's about hiring the right people and about explaining to them of like, this is what I'm trying to do and I, I want you to contribute to this culture. I think kitchen culture is such an important thing because food just tastes fucking better when it's coming from people who love their jobs. If we were to boil it down to its very essence, food tastes better when it's cooked by good people. I want to hire the type of chefs who love their work and, you know, come to work with a skip in their step even after a few doubles, even if they're a bit knackered, because they love what they do. As Lloyd said, the Palmerston is opening its doors summer 2021. If you find yourself in Edinburgh, go eat there. Beg, borrow or steal a copy of Roast Chicken and Other Stories. Maybe we're preaching to the choir, but it's really good. If you're listening on Spotify, follow. If on Apple, subscribe. It helps other people find the show. Follow me on Instagram at The Cook's Library. Thanks for listening. Keep cooking and keep eating.